0: Howdy, listeners. couple things right off the bat. First off, this next episode has a number of curse words, viewer discretion advised. Second, this episode is being delivered late, and I apologize. We've been dealing with the holiday season, and uh, in addition to that, I I got COVID. So I used that as an opportunity to catch up with all of the uh, old episodes of Bold and the Beautiful, and I uh, sort of slacked on getting this out on time. But This is a conversation that I was intending to have out before Christmas actually happened. But alas, it has turned into the first episode of 2022. So please enjoy this analysis of the Pogues. This can't be your food. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I welcome you to yet another episode Another episode of This Band Could Be Your Food. I am your guide, Nathan Palin, contacting you all the way from deep, dark Brooklyn. Why am I speaking in this ridiculous accent? It's because we're going to be talking about the Pogues this week. The Pogues. Ah, the Pogues from Ireland. They're not from Ireland. Did you know that? They're not from Ireland. They're actually from London. We're going to talk about that. They had one guy initially, the main guy, that is Shane McGowan, who was from rural, rural Ireland. And then, um, you know, at a certain point, his, his pops and, and all of them, they immigrated to London. And, and Shane, uh, we'll, we'll talk about all that stuff later. I feel like it's a timely episode to have because, you know, it uh, is the season. It's about Christmas time. And the Pogues wrote probably one of the greatest books. Christmas Songs of All Time, Fairy Tale in New York, which they performed with Christy McCall. It's a song that every single year evokes deep emotions. I don't know what it is about Christmas. I cry so much at Christmas time. It's just like everything. It's just like one big long cell phone commercial. Or like the worst part of a rom-com or something. I just it's like everything. The the Charlie Brown Christmas episode makes me cry. Fairytale in New York. When Bono's like, "Thank God it's them, instead of you." Everything about it. Waterworks. Waterworks over here. It's ridiculous. I'm a grown man. A grown man who enjoys a good cup of coffee. Hey, do you like coffee? Are you a grown man who also likes to drink coffee? How do you like your coffee? You know what I. You know what I do with my coffee? Every year around this time of year, I dump eggnog in it. And this year, I'm dumping my eggnog into a a cup of Izzy's Coffee supplied by uh, the great people over at Izzy's Coffee in Asheville, North Carolina. Perhaps you've been there. If you've ever tried to get yourself a coffee while you're in Asheville, you're probably smart enough not to go to a a name brand coffee. I'm not going to use their name because it's not about them. It's about Izzy's Coffee. Asheville has two locations. One's downtown. That's the one that I've been to. That's my favorite place. Did you know when you go down there... After you get a cup of coffee, not a pour over, don't get a pour over. Don't even think about asking for a pour over. You're not going to get one and grow up. But when you go down there, if you get one of their bakery items, the chances are that that bakery item was made right by the actual hands of the owners of Izzy's Coffee. It's a mom and pop store. Well, it's a mom and pop and two kids store. And they they have generously sent me a really nice package of Izzy's Coffee Mugs, a couple of pounds of ground kernels and then some other ones that I'm going to ground myself to get a nice fresh cup. And I think you should too. If you're in Asheville, start your day out, start your afternoon out, start your night out. doesn't matter. Every time is a good time for some coffee. Get yourself a delicious cup or two. I'm on my third. Cheers, everybody. Ah, Eggnog. But whatever. I love it. I love crying. I'm a baby. A wee lad baby. Oh shit! We okay? Stop it. My guest, obviously, if you know me, it's Ken Fitzsimmons. Ken Fitzsimmons is the leader of the Kissers. The Kissers are an Irish rock band from Madison, Wisconsin. That is, jeez, twenty-five years strong. This band they've been going. I happen to be a member during. I'll say the glory years. You know, I mean, whatever they're doing, they're doing fine. They've all been. They've gone through many layers. They've had they've had many different chapters. I was part of the second chapter. And we made some great music. We did a lot of touring around the country. I sort of threw away a couple of years of my life in a van with that band, visiting the country of the United States. And it's all because of uh, Irish music. And not just Irish music, but like the fusion of Irish and rock and or punk was a sound that uh, I really loved. And I really dedicated some good years of my life and i have absolutely no regrets doing it but that all leads to a very deep and personal conversation about the pogues so let's go ahead and jump right into that right now here we go me and ken finn simmons chatting about the pogues one two three four go We spent a lot of time in band. we uh it's, it's funny about today's subject, uh, which is the Pogues. You and I sort of met each other because of the Pogues. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Had, it, had it not been for them, who knows what lives we, we would have. It would be a very different life, both of us. Yeah, that is true. You wouldn't have started the Kissers. I wouldn't have found you and joined your band. Probably we wouldn't have became roommates. I wouldn't have talked you all into being in my Christmas band
1: wow yeah yeah that uh, is a lot that's a
0: that's my whole history right there
1: <laughs> wow totally yeah T- talk about like alternate you know timelines
0: yeah. yeah all because of shane mcgowan and the pogues All because of shane mcgowan and the pogues well mm-hmm. that. um and this is a good time of year to be talking about the pogues you know because uh it's it, we're nearing christmas time which just happens to be shane mcgowan's birthday right Yeah. <laughs> And uh, you know the year, the uh, the type of season that caused them to write that beautiful song "Fairytale in New York," which could be you know the only reason that many people maybe even know about the Pogues. Yes or no? It's hard to know from the United States because "Fairytale in New York" is still kind of a cult Christmas classic for most here in the United States.
1: Yeah, it's much
0: more mainstream
1: in in Ireland and England.
0: They they seem to have less of an issue with certain words that could be used in a Christmas song. Right. Which, uh, even the BBC, uh, I heard that they wouldn't play it. I don't know if they did a censored version or they just wouldn't play the song or what the deal was. Do you have any idea? Uh, I don't,
1: other than I know that they did censor it for a little while. And I think I read that um, a lot of people complained, basically, and including Kirsty McCull's mother. Yes. And they basically just lifted the restriction.
0: Yeah. That's a lot of power. Christy McCall's mother has. Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> Just like calling into school. My son <laughs> does not have the problems that you say that he does. Yes. The yes. very loving boy. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. Very different lives. We'd be living without old Shane McGowan. Uh, what's tell me about the first time you ever heard the pokes.
1: Oh, yes. Uh, so, I was uh, I was a freshman in high school, so this is 1989, Ooh. and it's my first girlfriend at the time, and she put on. You know what I think actually happened, and this is totally embarrassing, and and this will I'll lose all like like whatever like Irish music cred I had like, leading into this. I'm going to lose it by admitting to this. But yeah. we just watched the movie Far and Away with uh, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it's 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 just like this. You know pretty cheesy movie that plays on a lot of stereotypes of ireland um but they they they, i think they did a pretty good job of trying to recreate sort of the i don't know mid 19th century ireland I, i forget exact time period but i like i was sort of infatuated with the movie i didn't watch it a whole bunch of times but i really i really liked it and i think that led to my girlfriend at the time playing she's like oh you should check out this band and so she played rum summing lash um you know she just, you know, i just remember playing the first track which was of course sick vetika cullen and yeah. i just heard it and and the same feeling i was getting from that movie was sort of being transferred to this music it's like you know <laughs> that 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 feeling that a lot of people especially in america i think refer to of it sort of takes you to another place and yeah. perhaps even another time um and i was i was uh Enraptured. I was like, wow, this is, I've never heard anything like this before.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're so weird that way. Just like the the first time that I saw them, I think maybe I was watching Saturday Night Live the very time that they played Saturday Night Live because I have a very clear memory of seeing it and my reaction. It's hard for me to remember where I was or when it was, but I know that was the first time because I looked at them and you know there's a mandolin player and a, an accordion player and and when i saw them i'm like all right they're going to be like bruce hornsby in the range or something but they were like just a completely different animal like that lead singer just was you know had been run over by a garbage truck before he arrived <laughs> and uh you know, whereas with Bruce Hornsby the Range, like when I first heard them, I was, you know, younger. When, when, when all the bands that I'd ever heard all have like guitar and bass and maybe keyboards and like all of the bands, 100% of the bands. So then Bruce Hornsby the Range comes out and I'm like, well, clearly these are the guys that tried to audition for the other bands. And they're like, yeah, no, you can't play accordion in our band. We don't have accordions in bands. So they were all like sitting together, being like, we should start our own band. And then, <laughs> and then they started free <laughs> being the rage. That's totally what I thought at the time. <laughs> so then when I saw the pogues, I thought the same thing, but then, you know, like the very first song they played uh, on Saturday night life was um, um, not fairytale in New York, but the other song about New York, I'm a free bird man of the USA. Body of an American. Body of an American. Yeah. Also kind of out of New York um, and, uh, or maybe Philadelphia, no New York, something like that.
1: Well he mentions know, just, both Philadelphia he, he's uh he's he's on the East Coast because he's fighting in Philadelphia and New York.
0: Sure, yes, yes, yes Farewell yeah. to
1: New York City to Boston NPA.
0: Ah yes, exactly. Yeah, they always had a thing about uh about America, but that's that's very Irish, you know. They've always uh saw uh New York as a very viable escape route back in those days. Um but anyways, um, yeah, and then I never heard them ever again, and I couldn't figure out who they were. And you know, just because I just, I just sort of had that memory, but I mean, they leave that lasting impression uh, until one day I was um, I was hanging out with my good friend Phil Went. Him and I, we you know, we grew up high school together, and we'd started a, a folk band playing traditional Irish and Scottish jigs and reels. And he pulls out um, the very first record, Red Roses for Me. And says, "Yeah, we should learn maybe like Waxy's Dargle," um, and I think we maybe played that song one time, and it just didn't mesh with what we were doing because we were playing like a lot of a lot of retirement homes and stuff, and so like the the pulling out the 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 beer tray and smashing it over the head and screaming, <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah, they have special areas in the nursing homes for people.
0: Exactly, there. those people were not allowed to watch the show in the first place, so. <laughs> Um, but, uh, then, then I knew about the Pogues and I started looking everywhere for their material. I was like 19 years old and I was working at a, at the den in Madison and they made me the music director so I could order all the CDs. And so I had like the bigger catalog to go through and like order everything I wanted to. And I'm like, finally, I'm going to get some material from the Pogues. And the only things that were available at that time, it seemed like everything was out of print. I think I got Pogue Mahone. And I think I got yeah 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 yeah, and neither of those sounded like what I was looking for. Like it wasn't what I saw, you know, on on, uh, on Saturday Night Live that wonderful day. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't I don't know how I eventually like stumbled upon it, but I remember it was it was a struggle to get their material in the United States, at least anything with Shane McGowan on it. Cause I'm like, nope, there's this guy and he's got this sound and it's very distinct and it's very much him. And I don't really know, I don't have the internet, so I don't really know how to look him up.
1: (laughs) Right. And they, and the pogues were back then, at least not, I mean, they were still pretty much, like you said, kind of a cult thing underground. They were, they were not that well known in the U S there's a small loyal following, but unless you happen to encounter one of those people, most people don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, that's, and, and you and I both grew up, uh, you know, when we were sort of coming of age, it was pretty much the end of the pogues um, or, or close to it. And yeah. so we, you know, we were, we were little kids when, when they were in their heyday. Yeah. Um, you, you know, my my story is that I I sort of backed into the poke So if I had Rumsodomy I and Lash, which definitely was a good way to hear them for the first time. It's kind of what you heard because you're hearing, I think, Body of American. I think was
0: close to the- yeah. That's that's Pogatry Pogatry in Motion. Body motion. of American was on. It was still produced by Elvis Costello, but it was the EP that followed. uh Yeah, Rumsodomy and the Lash.
1: Okay, right. Yeah, I was sort of group it with Rumsy and the Lash. Maybe for that reason. Yeah. yeah um, it could have
0: could have been recorded at the same time even.
1: Right. And then uh, I went to B-Side Records on State Street, Madison, Wisconsin. Beautiful. And uh, I thought, you know, it was that question, you know, when you hear a song from a band and you like it or an album and you're just wondering, you know, is that an anomaly or do you actually like this band? Yeah. (laughs) You know, so I was like, well, I got to get something else and and just try it out. And I'm looking through their CDs and I I don't even know their albums. I don't even know what's what. And I wound up picking up a a compilation called Essential. and Uh, what I didn't know at the time was it was a sort of a greatest hits of all the Island Record recordings. So, "Grace of God," "Peace and Love," and "Hell's Ditch," okay, um, and plus the singles, yeah, 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 and uh, "Honky Tonk Woman" were on there too. Okay, and I put it in the CD player on the CD player that the same girlfriend bought me for for as a gift. It's good, <laughs> She's a good first girlfriend, and um, <laughs> she uh, and the first song was "Sunny Side of the Street." Mm-hmm. Which, you know, as we talk here, maybe we'll talk kind of about the, the evolution of the Pogues, but um, Sunnyside the Street is, is, you know, the tail end of Shane McGowan's and, and the Pogues, yeah. right? And there's all kinds of connotations that I knew nothing about at the time. I just put the CD in and I just heard the opening, and it's really, it's really Celtic rock. Like, it's truly, it's definitely a rock song, right? Yep. And I, I was like, within about 30 seconds of that song, I just said, I love this band (laughs) and then remained loyal ever since.
0: Sure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they started the whole Irish rock thing and they sort of talk about it. Like it's amazing that it had not been fused together before punk rock and Irish music. They're just lucky that they were the first ones to do it. And it certainly helped that they had this amazing songwriter in Shane McGowan, who tapped into the authenticity of Ireland and the old days, you know, because he's the only Irish member of the original lineup of the Pogues. You know, it's it's not, not a lot of people may know this, but they actually formed in London. And Shea McGowan was living in London at the time, but every everyone else was born in England at that point. But this is how punk rock they were. When they, like their first Pre-Pogue show, they had a band and they called themselves the New Republicans. And their idea was that they were going to play IRA songs. And it's supposed to be a play on words. It's supposed to be like New Republicans. They were playing these like IRA rebel songs in this little club in England, which at that point it seems like there was a lot of like IRA bombings happening around England. Um, like this was a really hot. And difficult times. So I mean, what is more punk rock than that? Um, but right. you know, at that show was uh, future member Jem Finer. He saw them play and he said, "I think these guys got something." So he sort of hooked up with Shane McGowan. Perhaps they were living together, or like they were sort of all sharing the same flat. I know him and Stacy and Jem were all kind of like hanging out and sort of that same thing. And basically when Jim and Shane sort of got together, they said, all right, we're going to, we're going to do this. And then they were going to have two lead singers, Spider Stacy and and Shane McGowan. And then after too long, depending on who you ask, uh, Spider says, well, he was be- the better singer, but other people said that uh, Spider was kind of a pale ass. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they said, you probably shouldn't be singing. And, and so he said, well, I'll learn the tin whistle. How hard can that be? Right. Um, and um. And then there you have it. That's the beginning of our band, the Pogues, and the world has never been the same.
1: Well, what I found fascinating was how like you said there this punk rock, really this this punk rockers playing Irish music and Shane McGowan, very I mean obviously he's he's truly Irish, but he's rural Irish, right? He grew up yeah. in Tipperary. And you know, talks about them getting electricity when he was a kid. Yeah. And but
0: the, I don't think they had running water ever
1: really yeah yeah so i mean he's he's like irish irish you know he's he's out in the area where the black and tans were fighting you know he talks about a regiment of black and tans being buried near where he grew up you know and yeah. and then he comes to london and he is you know he's not trying to be punk rock right he is just he comes out of uh, what is it he came out of a it was a mental hospital where he'd had like he'd been doing a lot of hallucinogenic drugs and then but then he was starting to hallucinate like without the drugs
0: <laughs> wait before punk rock
1: Kind of, I mean, I think he was probably leaning towards it, but w- basically the way he describes it, this is in that, isn't is that documentary of his, the, okay, uh, okay. one the Johnny Depp one, um, yeah. uh, crack gold. And he, he basically talks about like, coming out of that. And it was like almost immediately, like he went to a show and the show he went to was the sex pistols. Oh, wow. And he was just like, oh, the timing was just perfect. Like this was just what he needed. Yeah. Yeah. And then he just became a total like punk scene in London, which was really kind of his first fame in a way cuz yeah, he was yeah, yeah. the coolest fan kind of.
0: To- yes, he was. And f- before he was in any bands, anytime there's like video, it's very easy to find video of him at Sex Pistols shows, class shows cuz he's always up front. Uh-huh. And um, you know, nobody looks quite like Shane McGowan, you know? Like those big ears stick out and he's just got to look that uh, you know, there, there there's the debate of like is he handsome or not. But mm-hmm you know, like in the context of like, what is deemed to be handsome, you know, like he's symmetrical. His face is very transcendent. It has sort of like this glow. It's almost like majestic, almost, you know, like like this, uh, the Irishness and you can see it in his family, right? Like there's something in their face where it like, there's like a, a, a further depth. It's hard to explain, but you know, either way, the band has always been very photogenic. So any pictures, anything. And then he also became very famous because at at one show, um, him and some punk rock girl were sort of like dancing, I think a glass smashed and it like cut his ear. And so he just started bleeding. And so like the girl like bit his ear and there was so much blood. The NME had said last night's class show, this girl bit this guy's ear off. And it was like pictures of like Shane McGowan and this girl. So like, Everybody who kind of like came to be a part of the Pogues all kind of knew him because of like this fame that, you know, didn't have anything to do with the bands. But before we get too far into it, I want to put a a bookmark in it because we want to talk about the food for today. Uh, Yes. Um, This is going to be a very special episode. Um, We've never done a food quite like this. Now, the Pogues, obviously, everyone thinks they're Irish. And they are Irish, their roots are from Irish. And they also have a big component that comes from like London. And so to put all of this together, I thought this should be a sandwich. And by sandwich, I mean sandwich in a glass. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the world knows the sandwich in the glass is a pint of perfectly poured Guinness beer. The Pogues are a pint of Guinness. Aye, matey, here we go. It's a meal. It's a meal. Which is deceptive. The the Guinness ha- is very low in calories, they say. Right. Yeah, and uh, not as alcoholic as another, most other beers as well. Like you could sort of treat that as a light beer if you really wanted to go at it, which gives it its darkness. Is uh, I think it's it's the the treatment of the barley before they turn it into malt. Like it's uh, it's roasted really deeply, kind of like a coffee more so than other things. And that's I don't know. That's what I heard.
1: Well, and it's I think it's a little stronger. I, I don't know if this is true or not, but it seems, uh, it seems like it's a little stronger in Ireland. I'm not sure if that's true or not. Um, maybe that's just uh, because of the way they, they serve it over there, but. Um,
0: Certainly better, they say.
1: It, yeah. 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 I would agree having, mm-hmm. having tried it. In fact, in <laughs> fact, the first time I went, I remember it was, I was young. And so, you know, it's that, the, those glory years between 18 and 21, when, when you can go, right, be an American and go to. Yeah. Ireland so, you know, or well, Canada. Be, and be of age, right? Yep. And, yep. Uh, and before I left, a friend of mine said, When you go to Ireland, drink a Guinness. And I said, A Guinness? He's like, Yes, a Guinness. Like, okay, when I go to Ireland, I'll
0: drink a Guinness. <laughs> I'm trying to remember all the way. Just when I get to Ireland, get a Guinness. When I get to Ireland, get a Guinness. Whatever yeah.
1: that is, drink a Guinness.
0: Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> a loaf of bread, a container of milk, and a stick of butter. A loaf of pick. <laughs> <laughs> So um, did you? So you had a Guinness then? I had a
1: Guinness. It was and glorious. That,
0: and that yeah. was your first Guinness ever.
1: My first Guinness was in Ireland. Wow. In, yeah, it was in Dublin, I believe, and it was the World Cup. And that year, I can't remember who Ireland played, but the it, there were two World Cup games in a row. One was the U.S. and one, and then the other one was the Ireland. Was Ireland like like hmm. the same day, back to back? Ah. And we watched them both in the pub, both the U S and Ireland lost. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> but, many,
0: many Guinnesses were poured,
1: many Guinnesses were poured. But what I was, what I thought was, yeah. yeah. And I remember I was with my girlfriend at the time and she knew the way back to the, you know, the hostel. And I was grateful because i had, I enjoyed the Guinness enough that I didn't even know where we were when I walked out the door. Yeah. Um, But I was, one thing I thought was really neat that felt very different than America was at the end of the game. I th- oh, Ireland was playing Brazil, I think, and Brazil was a really good team. They may have even won that year. I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, so this had been ninety four, and um, everyone thought they played a good game, and it ended. And even though they lost, everyone clapped. Ah, uh, mm. thoughts.
0: Yeah. Now, now you brought up a good point. We were calling it Guinnesses. Is that uh, the proper plural for Guinnesses? You know.
1: That's a good question. I usually don't add the "es." I usually say two pints of two well pints of Guinness, but that would be different. Could That's I have right. two Guinness? No, I would say could I have two Guinness?
0: Okay, two, two Guinnesses. You would know, be, how about Guinness? <laughs> <laughs> I
1: bet. I, I bet, and, and someone someone will probably cor- correct me on this. I bet in Ireland they would say two Guinness, and in America you'd be more likely to say two Guinnesses. Just just like Euro, you're, the, the proper grammar. We, we were in Ireland in, in December of 2000, right before, or December 2000, was it one? Uh, it was right before they switched to the euro, um, like literally like a week before. And so there were all these things about what's going to happen. And one of them was, how do you say euro? And they're saying like, it's one euro or more than one euro, two euro. But they said, but the Americans inevitably will say euros. <laughs> so get And ready.
0: they did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did it stick? I mean, obviously in America.
1: I, I know I don't know. I, 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 It's funny. I've been there since, and I don't even recall how they said euro. Mm. Yeah. I'm sure was what, how much attention I was paying to.
0: Well, it, in Italy, um, something that ends in O is male and singular, euro. And then if it is uh, plural, you would add an I in replacement of the O. But uh, that said, the Italians do not call them your I. Mm. So they would just say euro. say. I don't know. I couldn't pronounce it. The way they say it is weird. (laughs) I just, I'd call it dollars is what I would (laughs) do. Oh, You blend right in. I'm sure. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So let's circle back to the pogues. Now uh, they, they kind of started before Shane McGowan joined the band. Spider Stacy had this band. They were called the, the, the Millwall chainsaws, chainsaws, the Millwall chainsaws. What a great name. (laughs) and they kind of they they sort of started the thing shane mcgowan and some and he was playing in another band called the nips with his girlfriend at the time right the two of them i think were writing the songs and it seemed to be one of those relationships that after it broke up shane never really truly got over it like that seemed to be like his first real true companionship and i neglected to look into the history of how and why they broke up but Spider Stacy, uh, no, actually, James McFernley has suggested, like, they even have a song in the Pogues repertoire. I think it's called, like, the Ballad of whatever her name is. The lady I'm speaking of is Shane Bradley, and the Pogues wrote a song called Shane Bradley. I don't think it actually was released formally, but it is a B side off of If I Should Fall from Grace with God, expanded edition. Uh, Shane Bradley was a punk rocker artist who was there in the punk scene the exact same time that Shane McGowan was. She claims to have gone to like the second Sex Pistols show that they had ever played before they decided they were really going to be punk. They were still kind of mod slash glam. At that show, they'd played a Small Faces song, and they played Not Your Steppin' Stone by the Monkees. Rest in peace, Michael Nesmith. Anyways, yeah. Shane was in love with, sorry, Shane McGowan was in love with Shane Bradley. And they had a band together called the Nipple Erectors, later known as the Nips. I believe it was Shane Bradley's band that Shane McGowan auditioned for. But the two of them wrote songs together. And they went through a large number of bandmates, including their last lineup, which had James Fernley, future accordion player of the Pogues, as the guitarist. And at one point, there was a drummer named John Moss. I think with that lineup, they had actually played with The Jam, December 1980. And in fact, Paul Weller of The Jam ended up producing a demo that they made for Polydor Records. And by the way, John Moss later in life joined Culture Club with Boy George. Back to the Pogues talk. And then... uh what I was reading is like Spider just kind of said it, you know, I sh- we showed up for practice. The very first song we ever learned how to play was uh, Streams of Whiskey. You could remember if it was Streams of Whiskey or Dark Streets of London, but it was just like out of the get-go, like Shane was just coming with these amazing, amazingly penned songs. So they're like, I think this, this band's going to work.
1: Yeah. It's yeah. Pretty nuts. That is pretty nuts, you know, and, and talk about, you know, right place at the right time too. You know, it seemed like, you mentioned earlier about you know there's always this connection between ireland and america and you know that's that's a an historical thing with ireland is is emigration you know emigrating out of ireland yes um you know obviously we we all know about the the famine um but that that really continued even even during uh irish independence uh when they declared that in 1919 they were, they were really suffering from immigration like they were losing their population they're trying to get people to stay it was actually a, an actual yeah. problem for ireland um and then so at this time in the 80s uh, again this is another thing that shane mentions in that in that documentary that there's a really a pretty large group of irish going to london at the time and mm-hmm. really for the whole thing to work it really had to happen in london Like, like he's, he, he kind of says like, this wouldn't have been, this wouldn't have taken off in Ireland. It was more something about kind of the expats, uh, in London, uh, sort of fueling the scene.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah.
1: Um, and so, you know, so he's, you know, so he's, he's, he's taking his heritage and, and and they also mention, I think James Fernley mentions this in his book about kind of a world music sort of, there's a little bit of like a. Uh, I don't know if, it, if it's world music. Uh, um, uh, is is sort of entering the the rock scene? Like, there's this this hybrid bands are coming out. Or maybe it's like country and rock or something. Like that, that hmm. you're starting to see more fiddles in bands. He's mentioned, yeah,
0: yeah. Like, come on, Eileen,
1: yeah. I think they mentioned Big Country. You know, they kind of listen yeah. to that. We're like, you know, despite railing against pop music, they listen to Big Country and like, yeah, it sounds pretty good actually.
0: Yeah, Big Country's pretty good.
1: Yeah, so you know, in that in that sense, they were primed well. Um, as, as well, and then, um, like you said, you, the, the other thing about Shane McGowan that is w- what I didn't know was how much he shared this with Spider Stacy. This is from James Fernley's book too. Is you know, Shane is he's he's just, he's I mean he's, he's brilliant basically, right? He's unschooled, mm-hmm. but he's he's you know his his penchant for remembering and you know and for reading, uh, you know remembering. What you're, and he, he and Spider J- James Fernley describes him and Spider getting into these like like insult sort of matches between each other, yeah. but they'd be throwing out quotes like crazy back and forth, like from, and he's like, I could follow some of them. There was Shakespeare. There was Joyce. There was, you know, and so you listen, then, and then you get lost in the, all the quotes, you know, until finally one of them would sort of admit the other one, won. Um, but that's how their name came about. Um, that when they were trying to come up with a name, spider Stacy thought of it. And I only just recently learned this. It's a quote from Ulysses. Oh, Um, And it's, it's, he, he, in the, in James Fernley's retelling of it, he actually, he actually quotes the whole, like, couple sentences, which I couldn't do.
0: (laughs) Well, I can, from the story of the Pogues. If we're doing a gig, Spider said, we need a name. The men they couldn't hang, Shane said. The noisy boysies, Spider said. The black velvet underground. Pog Mahon, said Spider. Pog Mahon, yes, fuck, yes, Shane said, slapping his head with the palm of his hand. Pog Mahon, Akushai McRae. It's destroyed, we are from this day. It's destroyed, we are surely, Spider said. It's from Ulysses. It means kiss my arse. Pog Mahon, Pog Mahon, Shane said. That's what they said, says they. I and it shall be so. No kidding. Yeah. Now, was he Was he Ulysses speaking Gaelic in in that phrasing? Well,
1: probably, so, you know, if you've, so this is always kind of the joke about Ulysses or, or James Joyce writing is like, he has his own way of, with the language, basically put it that way. And so okay. he's, you know, he's throwing in some Gaelic and mm-hmm. English, like just kind of, okay. I, I would say willy nilly, but they're, th- yeah. they're, they're mashed together, you know, Spanglish okay. of, of Gaelic and English, whatever that would be, you know?
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you seen any like recent, like he's on Instagram now, I think, I think his wife you know, he finally did get married. Yeah. To to his long girlfriend Victoria. What's her name? I better
1: know her last name. Victoria's uh, all, all I know.
0: Clark. That's it. Victoria it's, Clark. Huh. pretty sure. I, if I'm wrong, I'll I will interrupt myself. It actually sounds yeah. right. It feels right. Yeah, it feels right to me. Uh, she's on Instagram, and occasionally uh, shows some videos of Shane. And it's amazing how much worse that guy can continue to look. As soon as like every time you see him, you're like, oh my god, he looks terrible. There's and then and then like. <laughs> A month later, you see it again. He's like, oh my God, how is he, how is like the skin still on his skull? Like, it feels like it should just be dripping off. him. like,
1: yeah, I know. He looks sort of like, he's had like a stroke or something, you know, like he, cause he's yeah. always leaned way over and his mouth's kind of saggy and,
0: you know, yeah, know if- his, his nose is clearly crooked. Like he clearly like has landed straight on the floor. Right. And like right. was there for a couple of days.
1: Right. Yeah. You know, it's funny cause he can't understand anything he says. But I've never been able to understand anything he said, like at any point. So I, it's, it's hard for you. Know, <laughs> it's hard, it's like, yeah. you know, like the documentary is, is subtitles, right? Because he's speaking English yeah. subtitles.
0: Uh, <laughs> which, <laughs> exactly correct. Uh,
1: um, but, you know, you know, I feel like his his state of being, I mean, some of it obviously is just chain, But I think some of it is tied to the Pogues and, and kind of how, how their the life as a band progressed.
0: Yeah yes let's get into that progression um so they they land on the scene they they put out their first album red roses for me uh i think they have a a famous show opening up for the clash um that you know the, the the two bands pair up very well and sort of like launches them into like another another level of acceptance into the the punk scene um but meanwhile they're pretty nervous to like play in Ireland. I I don't know if they did an Ireland show, but certainly the Irish music did not embrace the Pogues at first. They really thought that Shane was an abomination of all things Irish, you know, because at that time uh, Ireland was sort of trying to distance themselves from the typical alcoholism that they were known for. And so they sort of wanted to bring, you know, a level of integrity that they saw Shane you know, as a person without really like listening to the art that he's doing, but you know, he's just playing these Irish songs. It's just with, for all due respect, you know, just kind of like murdering where they go, uh, which it's funny. It sort of reminds me, remember, we used to have that band, the kissers. You, you still have that band, but I was in it. You remember we played Danny boy in the style that we played Danny boy can tell the story, Ken.
1: <laughs> yeah. We were in a, I think a Northern sh- suburb of Chicago um, you know, so there's obviously lots of Irish in Chicago, and uh, we, you know, had a a way of playing Dandy Boy where it starts, basically, it's just starts slow. You know, do kind of one slow verse, and then you, you kick it in, and it's super fast. Yeah, you, you, if you manage, okay. yeah, take like any fast song from Red Roses for Me, and and superimpose Danny Boy over it. You know, you've kind of got the feel. That's what we were going for, and we got done with the song, and a woman came up to us and said play that song again, and this time play it right.
0: Yeah. Though, I didn't think she was that polite about it. She was very, <laughs> very upset.
1: <laughs> yeah, she was, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So, Which, yeah, so people feel really strongly about that sort of thing.
0: They do, yeah. They like their, they like their Irish music to be the way that, that uh, they grew up with it, or at least at that time. So, yeah, it took, it took a number of years before, you know, they really took off in Ireland. I'm not even sure when it was that they did. I mean, sooner or later they did. Uh, Maybe it it helped as their career progressed that they actually started hiring on legitimate Irish musicians. You know, soon after they started to, you know, the the initial lineup was a five-piece band. They didn't quite have a drummer. And then they talked the guy, Andrew Rankin, into playing drums with them. Uh, But it was too late, so he doesn't even make it onto the front cover of the album. They just kind of have him superimposed in a little 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 circle on the bottom, which is (laughs) Um, but then as time goes on, like Terry Woods, he like, has a legitimate Irish music career. He was in Steel Ice, Steel Ice Band and a bunch of other stuff. Um, but he brings in the mandolin and the, um, what's the other thing that he played? The bigger a mandolin, citern, I think. What?
1: Citern, like C-I-T-T-E-R-N.
0: I don't know what that is. What's the uh, thing that, what's the thing that, it's uh, like a giant mandolin? Or yeah, is, it
1: a, is it a bouzouki?
0: Bouzouki, I thought.
1: Anyway, I, th- I, I think I have the word cittern in my head because I was reading James Fernley's book, and I think he, he he may refer to that as maybe one of the instruments he plays. But I, I, I okay. would, if I was looking at this picture, I would call it a bazooki.
0: Yeah, that's what I would, that's what I know it is. But I, I think bazooki is actually a Greek instrument.
1: Yeah, or Irish bazooki is. I think it's sometimes referred to as. So maybe it's uh, where's Kevin when you need him?
0: Ah, <laughs> call him later. and We'll drop it in.
1: He's listed as, in the liner notes of If I, if I Should Fall From Grace of Gods, it says, oh, actually, the first instrument listed, cittern. All right. Concertina, Mandola. So that's probably, I bet they're referring to that instrument as a Mandola because they also look the same. Kevin's always trying to tell me the difference between a Mandola and bazooki, and I never can figure out the difference between the two of them. Yeah. Uh, tenor, banjo, dulcimer, guitar, vocals. So, talented guy.
0: He's got a lot of, got a lot of irons in his uh, bag. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah, uh, no, I hear what you're saying. Like they're they're starting to get it, it, you know, both the legitimacy with Terry Woods of, mm-hmm. you know, okay, now we've got an actual, like, established, accomplished Irish musician. Um, but also, you know, and this is just my own feelings about it. I, I haven't like read this, but it just seems like they they were just getting so popular that Ireland couldn't help but to recognize them. I mean, because yeah there were few other, other than like you two, you know and just there's only a small number of irish musicians that are enjoying this much fame and he's playing irish music it's like at some point yeah. it'd be like hey guys you know we gotta yeah. we gotta embrace this like sure. irish music is being, you know wh- 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 whatever you think of it it's being spread around the world um and yeah. uh you know, obviously ireland does does embrace the eventually.
0: That's kind of like the same thing as like St. Paddy's Day. They never did St. Paddy's Day over there. But then America went crazy with it. And they said, well, let's try it over here.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Right. It's funny. It's funny the back and forth. S- speaking of back and forth. So the second time I go to Ireland. So well, before I went to Ireland the second time, w- when we would drink Guinness in the United States, we remember how it was always like, oh, you got to drink it warm like they do in Ireland. And do you remember that? I, was like, I, I don't remember that. Yeah, it was it was like a thing. We'd talk about like, oh no, 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 don't don't drink it super cold. You don't want it to be super cold. I mean, I think the reality is it's supposed to be like fifty-two degrees or something. I don't know what the exact temperature is. Like chilled but not like refrigerator cold.
0: Like a red wine. Just a touch cold. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Cellared. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, and, And and so then we go over to Ireland. And they have the tappers and a lot of the you know, and of course they'll you go to a you know pub and there's saying like, oh, six Guinness tappers, right? But like mm. half of them are labeled extra cold.
0: Mm. <laughs> like which means like oh, they're drinking cold?
1: cold because that's how you drink beer in in uh, in the US. Everything needs to be really cold. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> that's true. The US is known for their love of ice and refrigeration and things of this nature.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you know, so here you know in the US we're drinking it warm because that's how they do in Ireland. In Ireland they're drinking it cold because that's how you do it in the in the US. Funny.
0: <laughs> Love it. Nice. Okay, so they get on these Irish guys and then they also get that guitar player. What's that guitar player's name? Philip Chevron. Philip Shevron, oh. yes.
1: Well, Philip Chevron is the guitarist, yeah, on uh on Grace with God. Actually son, I think he's going on Rums beside I me in Lash, isn't he? No, he's not. No, he's not. That's before him. Okay. You're right. Yes. Okay. So, they, bring, so they, act-
0: they actually bring him in because Terry, I think, had just had his second child. So he needed to just take a little bit of time off. So they brought in Philip Chevron to sort of take his place for a little bit. And then when he comes back, Shane's like, you know what? I don't want to play guitar anymore. So they keep him. So they keep both guys. Um Terry Terry Woods moves to the, you know, stays on his uh little mandolins and what have you, and and um Philip Chevron just moves on a guitar. Uh before that, he. Philip Chevron kind of had a whole career going on. He was playing in like pop rock bands or pop punk bands in like 1977 through like 78. Um, And I think even put out something on stiff records and it's good. It's, it's, it's really good stuff. So, yeah, I mean, at that point, like the Pogues are just kind of like attracting these musicians that, you know, are legitimate. And for a band that mostly learned all of their instruments as they were forming the Pogues, like James Fernley, who before that was a guitar player in Shane's old band, the Nips, Jem Feiner just brought him an accordion one day and said, here, learn this thing. <laughs> <laughs> and James even says like, you know, back in the day, he would just only learn half of it because there's one side that looks like a piano. And so he, he sort of had that figured out. The other side's a bunch of buttons that he had not figured out. Um, <laughs> eventually he did, but <laughs> when they did the reunion, James had forgotten how to play the other buttons, so, for my understanding, continued to do all the reunion shows without doing the other half of the accordion. Just like played, just used it as a vehicle to like, you know, pump the sound. And then then the other was just the piano. And they're like, "Who cares? We got there's eight people up here. It doesn't matter if the other side's being played."
1: Doesn't matter. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. funny. Uh, I I really enjoyed reading his his uh, experience of learning the material and learning the instruments because, you know. As, as you mentioned, you and I uh, uh, played in the Kissers for, for a number of years together. And I feel like when we were learning Pogue's material, it sort of mirrored some of these musicians' experience of learning the material. You know, obviously not yeah. you know, not talking about Shane, obviously, who's writing the material, but like yeah. Jane Fernley, right? Who's like, okay, here, play accordion. Yes. And that's what anybody who joined the band, it was like, oh, you play piano? Okay, here's an accordion.
0: Yes. <laughs> four, four different accordion players, each one, same experience. Like... You play piano? How about accordion? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then you know, and, and Brian learned the tin whistle.
1: He's a sax player, yeah. right? But so he learned the tin whistle.
0: <laughs> um, so with that in mind, I was kind of like the Terry Woods of. of yeah, right. History. You were
1: actually, although you did eventually learn banjo.
0: That's true. I did have to learn banjo. Yeah. So yeah. they're, they're, they're tooling along. They got a couple of records. Uh, they kind of said that their second record, Rumsodomy in the Lash, sort of, elevated their status and they were sort of expected to make a big follow-up, which they kind of didn't. That's when they put out Pogatree emotion. What was, was the four song thing that had London girl and had um, body of an American mm-hmm. um, two other really great songs too.
1: Uh, rainy night in Soho yep. and Planks to Noel Hill.
0: Yeah. Solid, solid four tunes. Hey, you got that one too. Got that one too. yep yeah. <laughs> It was at this session that they started trying to write "Fairy Tale" in New York.
1: So this must be later. I'm sorry. Um, oh, it might be because you're right about the timeline. This is mm-hmm. definitely after Rumsami Lash because Philip Shevron's in the photo. Ah, there you go. Kate Uri- Kate Uriordan still in the band? Uh, no,
0: not Kate. Cot. Cot. Oh, it's Cot. Yep, that's how you pronounce it.
1: Oh, okay. Yep. Cot O'Riordan. Yep. James, that's Jim Spider. Well, that's Terry Woods. Oh. Terry is there too. And then Andrew Rankin. That's the whole. Yeah. You know, so that's a, that's a moment in time right there, right? That lineup is sure very is. brief. Scott leaves probably basically just after this.
0: Yeah. Scott leaves and marries Elvis Costello, their producer of this record, um, which there's very little information about their relationship. Yeah. The, like I had the Elvis Costello book on, uh, you know, digitally, and I kept typing in like Pogues. And the only thing that Elvis Costello said is that, uh, you know, he fell in love with a girl who was in a band with a songwriter who was brilliant, but uh, held me in contempt, even though I still admired him. (laughs) Pretty funny.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, I I remember seeing an interview with Shane uh, years ago, and he said something like, I'm not going to try to do a Shane McGowan impression. Um, He he doesn't understand you yeah right he said like yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. our
1: first album which means recorded very cheaply on very cheap instruments uh, you know but it had a certain quality to it he says, our second album was also recorded very cheaply and, and then like, like Jim and James are sitting next to him and kind of nodding you know and he says but it had a very expensive producer <laughs> <laughs> he <same> <laughs> Yeah, you know, his, his real laugh. Yeah, and, uh, and the other two guys are nodding, and, and you know, and then it kind of all settled down. And he says, "We we'll also ran off with our bass player." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, did I he? Don't. Yeah, and she, and she
0: left just by like not showing up anymore.
1: Yeah, I think James Burnley <laughs> in, in the book he says something like, "She's leaving and she's got her bass." And i like, "Why she got a bass? So, oh, well, she's going to practice." Like, God doesn't practice.
0: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, so she leaves and then, um, they have this, uh, this other roadie. Is it the roadie? Yeah. yeah. He's a He's stage band mm-hmm. Daryl, Daryl hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had been trying to be in other bands himself, but, uh, being their driver and tour manager and looking after the, the instruments, they said. Uh, and they said that he occasionally would have to fill in for, for a cot. So it became permanent obviously. And then they just had him for the rest of the Pogues existence. So I hear they tour like 16 months, something like that. Then they go in and they follow it up with their masterpiece, If I Should Fall From Grace With God. Dang near a perfect record. Top to bottom, there's nothing I ever skip. And it's really great. Yeah. I mean,
1: it is a culmination of, it's like the crossroads for them from the real Irish punk to what I would call Irish rock or Celtic rock. right i mean you could argue all the albums are rock but you know like in this album it reaches a sort of sophistication which they they can kind of continue down that road with the next couple albums that i think many people you know would would we'll we'll talk about it but like like the next two albums feel much further away from from red roses from me for example um whereas this is like that that point right in the middle where it just all like sinks together but the the polished nature of the the playing Mm -hmm. the influence the production of course um and then also shane's writing is still really still rooted heavily in irish music
0: not to mention as i said they had been on the on the road for 16 months playing show after show after show so the live band was just becoming a really tightly knit unit All of the additional band members were filling in those spots that previously were sort of missing. And, you know, to sort of give you an idea on like how potent and good of a band they had, they were finally able to record the version of Fairy Tale in New York that we know today. Previous attempts had always proved futile, but finally the band was able to deliver the performance that they sort of needed that would you know turn that song into the the christmas epic that you know brings me to tears year after year so now the problem is is after this everything seems to go wrong for the band at this point they need to capitalize on the popularity of this album so now they're touring even more and it's just you know months are turning into years and uh shane who really deep down is a shy man um They sort of said early on, like their their original road manager or their original band manager, like the first time they saw him, Shane didn't want to sing because he was sort of embarrassed. I mean, he's like, you know, if I'm going to be working with you, I'm probably going to hear you sing quite a bit. You should probably just get over this, which also could explain why Shane is so notably drunk all the time. You know, he does say, you know, if if I'm looking at the world, uh, for me, the world is better if I have a beer in my hand. So I would just rather, or vodka or whatever, you know, I would just rather have a drink. And that's just sort of his lifestyle. And everybody who's come to know him seemed to accept that and just understand that that's who he is. Um, you know, because he's one of the last really true artists of a certain Place and time. You know, Shane McGowan, because he grew up in a at a house that didn't have running water, (laughs) didn't have heat unless they had a stove. You know, if they were going to cook, they cooked on a wood stove. Like everything was really just bare bones. If they wanted to listen to music, it would be the members of the family playing music together. That's where Shane sort sort of first got his taste of performing, is that he would just jump up and down on the table and like at age three, he would just sing whatever songs he knew and you know, if he didn't know the lyrics, he would just fake it. And he got all of this uh, love and encouragement from his family. And, you know, that sort of started the whole thing. But that sort of performing isn't really performing in front of a, a, an audience of people. You know, uh, that's, you know, that's performing for your family, which, you know, people rarely do in in today's modern days. But, um, you know, back then, that's how, that's how that's how music existed. You know, and that's where obviously the Irish and scottish and all of that music comes from it's 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 true folk music it's so old nobody knows who wrote it or where it came from it's just handed down you know like a fairy tale and it just you know it, it morphs and it changes and you know shane was really smart to tap into that that ethos or that fabric and and quilt work to make a you know make a music that you know is this old but speaks to a new generation um, so it's, it's fantastic
1: Five Shuffles Against of God is their, is their, it's the pinnacle of their, their career as a band and their popularity. And, um, but Shane McGowan is like the true sort of tragic artist. Um, obviously he's still alive today. Um, but he, he suffered from the work of the band. Um, like it was not, it was not his way of being. You know, he said in in that documentary, he says one year they played 363 shows. You know, I don't know if that number is correct, but even if it was 263, whatever, you know, it's they're they're just traveling like crazy. And for him to go on stage and not really feel it and just be kind of going through the motions is, you know, even though he refers to himself as a musician uh, and say not a poet, um, for example, he's he's got to feel it. And it's it's got to it's got to be right for him yeah. and he um i actually think his songwriting is actually still brilliant uh at this at these later albums but for different reasons um and reasons that he i don't think even he he doesn't think his songwriting is very good after this because he started to stray from his irish roots um is, was one of the things he would say he literally can't he can't handle it and in his own admission, he said, I was more, I, I was far more interested in the drinking and the drugs than the music at this point.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, he got, that's, he got, he sought refuge there, not in, in performing. And so basically he's just losing it. Yeah. You know? And, he, and, and behavior is showing it, you know, he's, I mean, yes. he has a crazy kind of mental breakdown and in Australia or was it Australia or something like Perch where Japan? he like, paints himself blue in the hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> He's, you know yeah. <laughs> and yeah um so
0: yeah he's losing it but and and meanwhile the band doesn't seem to be sympathetic to the idea that hey maybe this guy should just use a break for them you know it's it's all about the band um and they do a couple more albums and it's pretty funny like their their very last album which is hell's ditch i had a very difficult time Embracing that album because it's really the first time that you can hear Shane McGowan sort of singing drunk. Maybe he sang drunk before, but this is the first time where it sounds like he's drunk. They couldn't edit it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They didn't have the technology back then. It, well, no,
1: yeah, I mean authentic. I think they tried. I mean oh, they, really? they, they he would come in and do multiple takes and they would splice them together and and uh you know, but yeah, like like even with because he could still splice it back then, you know, cut the tape and, and oh, all shit. that. For sure. But, like, they just, you know, like, even with that, even with editing, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that just yeah. shows you how, how probably how, how it, the, the, you know, the core recording sounded.
0: So the, famously, the members of the band uh, bring them downstairs or wherever. They're in Japan. and You want me to tell? Uh, you tell that story. All right.
1: So basically they, yeah, you know, I mean, Shane McGowan has been doing stuff like, I mean, like he would doesn't even show up for shows or, or like they go, they stop at a gas station and he just wanders off and he's gone. You know, I mean, it's just like stuff that just, you know, the, and this has been going on now for a couple of years. Right. And finally they've just had enough and, and they all gather in the hotel room and they bring Shane in and who, who who's the lucky one who gets to do it? I can't remember if it's Andrew Rankin or, or if it's Jem Finer. Um, but anyway, they, they say to him, you know, you're, you're out. We're, you know, we're done with you. (laughs) And Shane's famous response is, what took you so long? (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. And Spider says really like the big, the, the, the real shame about it is that they had Joe Strummer at their disposal. So they had a, a very great replacement for Shane on paper. What more could you ask for? Um, in the end, it didn't end up being the replacement that they had hoped, but it allowed the band to continue on as the Pogues without Shane, which, you know, if if you could rewrite history, they all sort of agree, maybe we should have just taken a year off and let Shane sort of clear his head and come back. Because Shane was ne- never the same after that. You know, you can really he's he's got a new demeanor that he's had ever since then, where it just seems like he sort of, uh, you know, comes back back and forth from a different reality like sort of just depending on how the wind is shifting you know and it, and it and it comes off as like you know he's not completely there but then you know he will let you know pretty quickly that he is completely there and he's totally present
1: <laughs> yeah i think the part of shane that probably never really changes is he's completely there on his terms yes yeah it doesn't matter if you scheduled an interview today or whatever
0: it's yeah. whatever his terms are today or <laughs> right now <laughs> my my f- yeah. Well, Perfect. well, listen. I, I think we still got more pork stock. But uh, since I'm not going to have a recipe to share, how about we go open up that Guinness and continue on? Mm, that sounds like a plan. Since we're not going to be talking recipe, let's talk about the right way to, to pour a Guinness. How do you do it, Ken? Well, when you've got, you're looking for a can here. Well,
1: okay. So the way I would do it is, yeah, we, we have cans, right? Obviously we're not doing this, uh, you know, the, the, the real way you'd really want to have a Guinness is having, you know, a professional pour it from the tapper, right? Yeah. Um, but obviously uh, we're at home and we don't have these, uh, this technology or even if I did, it's like, you can't. Like Guinness is like special for like how you, you know, the nitrogen and stuff. Anyway, um, so normally I would be holding my glass at you know roughly a what is it like forty five degree angle. Yes. You know, and I yeah. would crack it open, and I you got to wait a little bit. You don't just don't just go pouring it, right? I'm I'm gonna let you tell
0: how, how me right. how you pour a Guinness.
1: Yeah. What I would typically do is I'd, I'd crack it open, kind of let it it foam it'll foam out the top, you know, just sitting there um, a bit, and I kind of let it once I see it sort of kind of calming down and that foaming, then I'll just do the pour and I'll just do straight pour for, you know, keep that glass at the 45 degree angle for as long as I can until it gets at the very edge. And then just slowly put the rest in.
0: Ken, I do, the, <laughs> I do it the exact opposite. Oh yeah. This is what I do. I'm going to show right. you. Okay. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to crack this can open and then I'm going to try to get it into my glass as soon as possible. Okay. And I'm not going to do a forty-five degree angle. I'm going to do it straight. Okay. Because I want there to be some some violence happening in there.
1: Some activity in there. I
0: find I find by doing that, you know, that that magical thing that the Guinness does where it's like, you know, separating itself from like one type of consistency into another. I feel Mm. that happens best in this situation. Mm. Okay. Ready? One, two,
1: three, go. Yeah, Yeah, I want to watch it. Okay. Okay.
0: Now, because this is what they do when, when they pour a Guinness at the bar, is they do they don't, pour it straight in. They pour it straight in. Yeah, and see, look, it's all creamy.
1: Yep.
0: That's yep. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can see that the magic from the bottom is happening. Yep. No, On I think here a, you're oh, getting that. that you're getting that whole thing. Mm-hmm. You've got you've got your head at the top. It's a little bit. It's not quite the right consistent bubbly thing. Like there's like a a, a different sort of thing at the top. You can see. Whereas, like, there's bigger bubbles. Instead of like your traditional Guinness, would just be like this, this foam on the top, like a uh, like a cappuccino sort of. Foam. Right,
1: right. You've really got three things. You can see the darkness in the bottom, the light head on the top, and then the like settling kind of in the middle, sort of slowly. Yeah. Like lighter in color, getting darker as it goes down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's so you lovely. You yeah, will, Nate. I mean, it would be the gentlemanly thing for me to tell you that you win.
0: Hey, my man. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, this, I mean, this is. Uh, <laughs> you know it's not a competition <laughs> because okay. the other th- the other thing i wonder is like how much does it really make a difference
1: well well right well so here okay so that's a that's a great that's a great point because i want to i want to mention this this version and i haven't cracked mine open yet because i want to i want to try this which is something i haven't actually tried in a long time so the kissers used to play at OK's corral which you know is got its own place in sort of punk rock lore right that's um right. And so we were very fortunate to have that gig, it's of course, where you started playing with the band um, first by uh, going to the gigs and watching you all play. Yeah, yeah. So they served Guinness there in, in by the can, and I've never seen any place ever serve it like this. Um, I'm, I'm sure maybe there's maybe there's another one, but I haven't seen it. Um, and they would crack open the Guinness, and now uh, an important point here that um, for for listeners is you are using an what what would be called an imperial pint glass, Correct. which is about 20 ounces. Um, and the Guinness itself is like 16, 16, ounces or so in the can.
0: I believe they say 16.9. Four. No, 14.
1: 14.9. 14.9.
0: Huh? Get out of here. It made them smaller. Well, with that in mind, I think, I mean, this is like quote unquote imperial pint in that it has sort of that, um, that sort of sexy glassy shape, like, you know, it's thinner at the bottom and then kind of bubbles out and curves at the top. Like you're like Guinness glasses are just the greatest thing to hold on to in the entire world.
1: Yeah. But are you, are you about to say that yours is, is yours truly an Imperial pint glass or is it just shaped like one, but it's actually. I think that it,
0: I think that it's just shaped like one. I mean, there is, uh, I would say that there there are, are a number of ounces that could still be poured into this one, but I don't know if, I don't know if six more would fit. Mm
1: hmm. Mm hmm. Question. Uh, it's interesting. Okay. Well, so I am holding in my hand what would be considered an, an American pint glass. Yeah. So this is what most people probably think of when they think of pint glasses, you know, conical shape, you know, to, you know straight sides. It starts narrow on the bottom, gets wider at the top. Yeah. And it's a 16 ounce glass, which yeah. is an American Yeah. standard pint, issue every bar. Standard. Right. Yeah. So that's the type of glass they would have at okays and then they would crack open the guinness and kind of like what you did they they wouldn't wait they just crack it open and they'll take the can and they would just drop it right in the glass and hand you the glass with the can upside down in it
0: what that's crazy
1: and it creates a seal yeah yeah. so yeah. it'll stop pouring right where the can <laughs> is, is, in the, is in there and then so you, you know, can decide then you what you want to you do with it exactly exactly you go wow. and pour it the rest of the way yourself
0: Mamma mia, I don't think I ever had a Guinness at OK's Corral. I don't remember the first Guinness I had. I didn't I wasn't sexy enough to go to Ireland and get one. <laughs> uh,
1: all right. So I'm gonna try I'm gonna try the OK's pour. I'm gonna call it okay. the Okay. Because it's the only place I, I know of that does. So, so I'm gonna do this and we'll see, we'll see what happens. I'm gonna just drop it. I'm gonna open it. I'm just gonna flip that can upside down. I'm gonna drop it right in the glass and I'm gonna wait and see if it stops pouring. And if it doesn't stop pouring, I'm gonna move it very quickly off of my computer so that i was
0: gonna say um, (laughs) i'll back up i'll back up (laughs) okay all right so ladies and gentlemen he is uh he has his can open it he's cracked you hear that sound he just dropped the whole can inside of it um and it stopped Mm-hmm. It poured, it went up about halfway and then it stopped and then you have the Guinness magical thing happening
1: still happening on that you know still happening yeah two yep. or three yep. inches in the bottom where you are still seeing some of the magical Guinness and inevitably of course I'm gonna pick I'm gonna pick up the can and it's just gonna start obviously yeah. pouring out basically like the way you were doing it so I'll do that
0: sure, now sure 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 looks good.
1: You know what? I got to stop because it's going to pour. It's going to go over the top of my American pint glass.
0: But how is that possible if you have a sixteen ounce glass and you are pouring a fourteen point nine ounce beverage into there? Well, it's
1: the head. It's the head can still go over, right? I, yeah. I think I can get it in once it settles.
0: Okay. Okay. Think. Let's test. It's doing Wait, its magic, I'll- but I, I don't see the ratio of bubble. Of no, that, liquid sort of changing anything
1: yeah all
0: right yeah yeah okay i think it is actually
1: should i think maybe it is Let's see, the head
0: I? the head is not seeping over still within yeah. the glass
1: oh this is Oh. <laughs> beautiful is it all in it's all in and you could not yeah. put one more drop in that glass well then so better hey. make room cheers Cheers, Nate.
0: <laughs> Cheers, Ken. Oh, that is delicious.
1: It, you know, they say that the American Guinness is carbonated, whereas the Irish Guinness is nitrogenated. Um,
0: you I don't said really,
1: that, who said that? You said that. I said that. I, you know, it's just some website, you know, it said that. All right. Um, so. You know, Well, nothing,
0: nothing on the internet is incorrect, so... Right, I'm so sure. I'm pretty sure it's correct. It must be carbonated. Be nice. Folks, I'm disheartened to let you know the internet has let Ken down. It's possible that at one time the Guinness in America was carbonated instead of nitronized, but this is no longer the case. When you get a Guinness in any old American pub, it's nitronized. The good people at Guinness insist it be so. This is the only way you're going to get that perfect head at the top and that Guinness magic we keep talking talking about, the 11 seconds it takes for a Guinness to settle, they say. But scientists have looked into it to try to determine why it is that they say that Guinness in Ireland tastes better than it does in the United States. And they said that it basically just doesn't travel well. And this also might be why a New York City Guinness tastes pretty good. They say that all the Guinness is still made in Dublin and it's shipped over, but I mean, it gets to New York before it gets anywhere else. And then it spreads out to the rest of the country. I'm sure by the time you get to California, your Guinness is shite, but there you go. Thank you, science.
1: I will. I mean, I will definitely guarantee that I, that, I mean, and, and you've, you've, you've had it. Uh, the, the Guinness there's, uh, is unquestionably different in Ireland than in America, but, and obviously we had out of a can, which is going to be different again. But, um, but what I will say is that texture, like you, that texture is always there. Like that smoothness, that creaminess
0: that you get from expensive, like that is
1: just unmatched.
0: It's so satisfying having one of these things. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, you know, and there's there's people out there that say, oh yeah, it's okay. I can have one, but I usually, you know, can't drink more. Like they talk about it like it's like a summer shanty or something. You know, like there's certain like flavored, like berry beers that I get that. But a Guinness, I, I feel like this is the one beer that I could drink all day long. Yeah, if I needed to. Right,
1: right. I mean, and, and you know, it's funny. Like you, you know, you know. Say if you like to like drink, uh, you know, alcoholic beverages. Sort of globally, right? You go to Italy, you know, drink the wine. You go to, mm-hmm. you know, you go to go to Russia, drink the vodka. You know, you go to Ireland. Really, you drink the whiskey. Um, you don't go to Ireland to drink the beer, except you go to Ireland to drink. Guinness, that is one, correct. One beer to drink.
0: <laughs> I mean, yes. there's a
1: couple others in Ireland are pretty good. You know, Murray's or uh, Murphy's,
0: Murphy's oh. Irish Stout. That's pretty good.
1: Yeah, or like uh, your
0: Harp. Yeah, right. I think also made by Guinness, but I mean, sells a fraction.
1: Right, but what it's, the Guinness it's sells. don't it's like you try those and you're just like, why are we wasting our time? Just yeah. drink. go to the
0: original. Yeah. No. I think the same thing could be said about all of these, uh, you know, Pogue-ish type bands. Mm. I mean, there is just no band that will do exactly the same thing that the Pogues does, uh, and, and I'll go ahead and say it. And I know that you feel this way, like, like Flogging Molly, for instance, great band, but essentially doing like an even punker version of the Pogues. I remember like listening to now and be like, oh, this is clearly their version of Sally McLean. Oh, this is clearly their version of. Uh, of, sure, uh, song of the damn, first mean. Song of the Damn, yeah, yeah, like, like, we're, we're, all of the like the little the pieces of ground that the post covered, like, the Flogging Molly has sort of like another version of that.
1: Um, uh, speaking as someone who plays in a group, still plays in a group, uh, that you know has at least for always consider our music Irish or Celtic and often Irish rock or Celtic rock, and I, I believe I feel like the genre is very tired. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of for, kind of formulaic groups out there and and i you know i i i say these things sort of sort of you know with some trepidation because i don't you know you know we're all we're all doing what we can and musicians and and we're, we're you know we're, we're 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 doing you know some of us are trying to do art others are just wanting to play some music and have a good time and, and all that's okay you know um uh but um that said, there is some, you know, it's like the genre has done a little bit of what people were fearing from the pogues. You know, it's sort of become like a parody of itself. Um, you know, the big boisterous, drunken lead singer and then the gang vocals and, you know, and let's yeah. go rah rah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And my take on it, you know, from the get go. When I was inspired by Shane McGowan and to start this band, um, besides the fact that we literally started as a Pokes cover band, but when I started writing my own material, um, I was trying to emulate what I thought was the essence of Shane McGowan's writing, which was he was writing about things that were meaningful to him, based, often based in history and, and culture that, you know, that far outdated him, but bringing it in to the present yes and you know like as a uh, but i was still doing it with irish music but you know you could sort of argue that you know because of the links of irish and america there's you know it's not entirely outside of american culture to be including irish music um because really if you're going to truly use american music it's going to have to be like jazz or blues or you know sure um <clears throat> so uh so, so, like one of my furry first songs, you know, I'm still in high school, wrote, it's called American Folk Song. And it's like this made up story about this kid who goes off to fight in the American Civil War. Yeah. Right. So, the idea, you know, and, and, um,
0: which is a timeless song. I'm sure you. it's been played at every single Kisser show, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and, um, as it should be. Like it, it never, I've I played the song. Ha, no, less than half the amount of times that you've played it. <laughs> um, but every time I did, I mean, it was always like, all right, we get to play American folk song, you know, just great tune.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks, Nate. Yeah. Um, and I remember once reading a review of, of our, our first, our first album together, Fire in the Belly, which that song is on. And I was, it was, a, I was getting canned and they were, they were singling me out. Um, and it was, you know, it was some kid, it was a college review, you know, so what does he know? Uh, yeah. But, <laughs> No, but he he was he was basically comparing me to Shane McGowan, saying like you know Shane McGowan's got this rough gravelly voice that that really you know sounds like it's been through all this, and and this singer, referring to me, uh, sounds like he just had like a warm glass of milk, you know, and his and is singing, <laughs> you know, God. and and uh, what what? But to my, be fair, my,
0: you had just had a warm glass of milk.
1: I mean, I, yeah, well, what's wrong was, with a
0: warm glass of milk?
1: Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and but my defense of that would be. Shane would want me and anybody else to do to be honest and do what was true to themselves. You know, it almost sounds cheesy to say it, but it's it's the absolute truth. That's the thing about Shane McGowan, yeah, is yeah. is Shane McGowan is absolutely truthful, you know, yeah. all the time to the extreme fault, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's really you know it was when he felt like he wasn't being genuine anymore it was essentially what was what was driving him kind of nuts and and you know eventually getting kicked out of the band he couldn't take it anymore yeah. um and so that's to me that is the more important takeaway uh, you know if you don't have to emulate him by by drinking as much as him or doing drugs or you know you don't you know i mean he 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 just had a natural disposition to like hanging out with homeless people and stuff like that and and like that's who he related to yeah yeah uh, that's what it, he was drawn to.
0: They sort of said like he would always give money to homeless people on the street, every time, always. Cause the idea is he thought some, someday he eventually was going to end up there himself. Right. You know, he just, he really just didn't see like the future for, for him. He just knew, you know, this is the life he's, he's meant to be like, like the guy lives his art. You, you know, you're exactly right. He's truly authentic. And, um, you know, if you really look into <laughs> the lyrical content, you know, that's, it's pretty frightening.
1: <laughs> it's rough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you're not going to read these lyrics to your kids. Uh, most of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. And, you know, you see the interviews and you're like, is that really true? Do you really do that? And it's like, oh, he's kind of sounds like he did.
0: So long as they're talking about our experience in the Kissers, there was a moment where, uh, you know, the three of us, you, me and cousin Caitlin, were all uh, in a band and we got to open up for the Shane McGowan, Shane we- McGowan and the Popes. Yes. You wanna tell yeah. this story?
1: <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's just a dream come true, of course. Yes. You know, like I mean, I mean, of 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 any musician that I idolized in terms of his talent and songwriting, obviously Shane McGowan is 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 uh, is up there. And um I think Caitlin really pressed the the booking agent to get us on that bill. I don't think there was they needed a, a second opener <laughs> it's yeah. like, come on. Shane McCowan, put us on the show. Yeah. They didn't need an opener uh, for Shaunakie, but you know we just forced ourselves in, into the door. He's like, "We'll do it for free," you know. It's like, "All right, fine." And um,
0: I think so we, we got we paid got fifty dollars. <laughs>
1: oh, okay. yeah, right, yeah, yeah. It Probably went towards our tab. Uh, yep. So then, um, uh, Shane, of course, wasn't even in the in the room when we played. But
0: in uh, fact, in fact, while we were let, let me just interject while we were doing our sound check, they're like, Shane has already missed his first plane. Um, My recollection is that they had said that Shane had missed the previous two shows, which I think were Detroit and Minneapolis, like bigger cities than Madison, Wisconsin. And so our thought is like, if he didn't go to those shows, there's no way he's coming to Madison, Wisconsin. Um, So we're doing our sound check. And at that point, they're like, we don't even know Shane's coming. And how disappointed were we to think that, you know, our dream could like just, you know, not happen anyways. Yeah.
1: So, um, nonetheless, he does he does miraculously arrive, and uh, they play their show. And, oh, and-
0: uh, you're, you're, let me keep going because this is the part that I love. Is right. at, we're we're doing our opening set, and we still don't know if he's coming. Mm. And I remember you're like, "Ladies and gentlemen, uh, stick around for Shane McGowan and the Pope's," and everyone's like, "Yeah!" And it's like, "Oh my God!" It, they're still. <laughs> We still don't know if he's coming. And then we sit through the the opening band, Shauna Key, and we still don't know if he's there. Right. And and then we're, so then the Pope set up and, and they sort of said like the Pope's, you know, if Shane doesn't show up, they'll they'll still play. Like I, I heard like they'll take half of the money, you know, and like refund half of the money. And then the Pope still put on a great show. Like somebody else in the band still sings and everybody still has a great time.
1: They're a great band.
0: Um, oh, yeah. excellent band. Excellent band. Um. But we're sitting there like waiting for the Pope's to start up, and I, in my head, I'm like, "He's not here, is he here? Is he here?" Because right. to get into that venue, there's like one way up, and I didn't see him enter. Right, I
1: didn't either. I certainly was looking. I mean, everybody was looking.
0: <laughs> yeah, every, yeah, every like it's the talk of the town. And then all of a sudden, like a miracle, he walks up on stage with the assistant of like a couple other guys because he's got to go up a couple stairs and he's already already drunk. But but right. he goes up on stage and they and then they launch into streams of whiskey. And it's just like it's like Santa Claus just arrived.
1: It, you're right. You're right. You know, all his paleness. And, you know, I think he'd been on Conan O'Brien. Wasn't that like was that that same year? Um, I mean, he just sort of looked the same, you know, like I swear he was wearing the same shirt. I don't know. That might just be my memory. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right, everybody, we are back, folks, day. my next guest tonight has three things that he'd like you to know. One, he has a new album. needs a label to release it here in america two he'll be appearing at the flaw festival in chicago on saturday and three the show scheduled for tonight in buffalo is canceled folks please welcome back to our program the one and the only shane mcgowan with the popes
1: yeah and yeah i remember that him being kind of assisted up the stairs and you're just like and you knew because we all knew shane right If, if shane was just on stage then then it's a go like yeah like it's going to be a great show no matter what happens if he's just there <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly yes yeah, and and he did not disappoint you know it's like you could just see it like he, he you know stumbles he's like seems like he's barely awake he can barely move and you know classic shane one hand on the microphone the other one on the stand whole it looks like he's just holding on for dear life yeah. you know they count off the songs like oh, what's going to happen and just it's just like. You know there's there's another force moving through him and it's just he's just singing the songs and they are coming out just like you wanted to hear them yes (laughs) what a moment Um, yeah Uh, so so after the show of course there's this you know we're gonna meet shane mcgowan you know can we meet him and i think it's kevin and pete and i think it was caitlin there um and we're just we we go and I, I forget what we did. I mean, we, I think we did well, we were the opening band, so we were just allowed to go backstage. And so we went back there and Shane is Shane's sitting there on the couch in the small dressing room. And the rest of the band is kind of around the room sitting around. And, uh, we sit down next to him and, and get a picture with him. And, uh, I said like, you know, Hey Shane, thanks for coming to little old Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, what'd say? It's a lot bigger than where I grew up.
0: <laughs>
1: um, and, uh, you know, eventually, I just kind of stopped talking to him, but no one's kicking... I, I was sort of expecting someone to come tell me to leave, but no one is. And so I just, I'm, just, I'm just sitting there, basically just hanging out. And someone brings in his book, which had just come out. A drink... I think it's called... Is it, it a drink with Shane McGowan? Yep, yep. An interview of him by Victoria, his now wife. Uh-huh. And um, they wanted him to sign it. And so they hand it to him. And he's of course, had a lot to drink. Much of it was during the show. Who knows what he had before. And his hands kind of shake a little bit. And he's he's holding the... The book, and he just very slowly opens it up, and he's clearly starting to read it <laughs> to himself. <laughs> because you know, after a couple minutes, you see him turn the page, and he smiles and he laughs to himself. You know, he's just oblivious to everything else. You know, and then the promoter comes back and is like, "Yeah, if you could sign that, um, that that'd be great. Thanks a lot." And, you know, like Jane doesn't even like acknowledge him; just just keeps reading, <laughs> and and then eventually this guy comes back there and this is sort of this random guy. And he was talking to me earlier in the night. So I, I kind of knew what his story was. So I was like, uh Oh, and he came back and he's, he's wearing this necklace with an Irish penny on it. And he's been wanting to get to Shane all night. Cause he wants to give Shane this penny. And, He starts, he starts kind of, he's, he's going into this whole story with Shane and he's, and he's, he's talking, he's getting louder and, you know, he's starting to actually get Shane's attention and Shane's starting to look up at him and see him and everyone else in the room is starting to kind of notice this guy, you know, sort of making a big commotion. And I'm like, oh no, you know, and, and he's getting all revved up with the story and he's saying, telling, telling him about this Irish penny and how he wants to give it to Shane um, so that he never dies penniless and, and and he's and he's still but he's still going he says because i'm a worthless piece of shit just like you
0: <laughs>
1: and there's this second of silence and then the entire room which is mainly the band just bursts out laughing and shane starts laughing <laughs> and i'm just like I my head and my hands I'm like oh my god i can't believe this is happening and you know i'm like embarrassed you know like you Know that you know, this is this is Shane's example of Wisconsin, but Shane is clearly like on this guy's level, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And and Shane's going, Sit down, sit down, <laughs> you know, like I'm guy to get thrown out, you know. And the guy's, yeah. like, Hey, you guys can come back to my place, I got a keg or like half a keg, <laughs> like, I, I can write down the address. And and I'm again, I'm just like head in hand, and Shane's going, Write it down, write it down, like yeah. write down the address, you know. Yeah. And and so it was it was a beautiful moment because I really saw in real time that that connection that nate has with you know the downtrodden, you know or shane has i'm Sh- oh, sorry shane what'd i say you said nate
0: i said nate again again ah. yeah. cheers cheers
1: <laughs> i really saw in action shane's identification with you know kind of the the whatever you want to call it, the lower class the downtrodden the peasantry the you know the the outside of 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 mainstream and uh it was, it was really a beautiful thing. Yeah, that is so awesome. <laughs> and by the uh, way, he never gave the book back. No. They, wound up, they got him to sign the cover and they tore the cover off and gave the cover back to the, the fan <laughs> and he kept the book.
0: <laughs> well, what a nicer compliment. The, uh, Shane, Shane kept my, I don't have the book because Shane McGowan kept it. <laughs>
1: exactly actually i think it makes for a better story if i was that person i'd be happier with that actually than even oh, getting man. the present. yeah
0: that is amazing <laughs> oh man hey you know with that i don't know how it, a better way to end our conversation so mm. ken thanks for joining me that was a great talk it was so wonderful to talk to pogues and to see your beautiful face again oh and, you uh, have a merry christmas i'll see you uh i'll see you next week where you and i are going to be uh performing christmas music
1: yeah, we sure are. Yo, this has been a, a real pleasure, Nate. I really oh, uh, really enjoyed it.
0: Pleasure's all mine. All right. Be well. All right. You too. See you soon. Ciao. <laughs> okay, folks, that does it for now. Our first episode of 2022 initially intended to be the last episode of 2021, but things in this modern age do not pan out the way that we always intend them to be. Special thanks to Ken Fitzsimmons for doing the show again this week. Him and I did a show at the High Noon Saloon in Madison, Wisconsin, our Christmas extravaganza, which was awesome. Maybe I got COVID there? No, actually, we insisted everybody wear their masks, and uh, it did not turn out to be a super spreader event, so kudos to the High Noon Saloon and other people that wore their masks. If you happen to be a fan of the Pogues and live in the New York City area, I am going to be performing Pogue songs with another ex-member of the Kissers, the band that I was in with, Ken. This new band's called Dark Streets. We're playing at 11th Street Bar, fingers crossed, on Wednesday, January 26th. Look on the internet. Dark Streets, 11th Street Bar. We're also going to play the Red Lion on St. Patty's Day. So New York City Pogues fans, come on out. The next episode's going to be all about David Bowie, I hope. Supposed to be having an interview soon with Michael T. And if the world allows... We might be doing a show. I might be joining him on stage at Arlene's Grocery. I'll give you all the specifics within the content of the next episode. Until then, I hope your 2022 is going okay so far. Stay safe out there. I'm your host, Nathan Palin. The episode was recorded, edited, hosted, music by everything. Me, Nathan Palin. Thanks again to Izzy's Coffee for sponsoring us. Until then, cook on and rock out. Ciao, ciao.